You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Special guests and off topics in this segment, anything goes. You're listening to 3 p.m. Okay, so we have Laura yeah. and Havoc in the house with us. That's right. Hey. And Laura's my cousin. That's right. <laughs> so I grew up with Laura. <laughs> and um, so Laura's part of the family that I've talked about maybe on every episode. Yeah, And I have sourced say. 90% of my stories from. So yeah, she's a part of the, the infamous uh, Las Vegas family, branch of my family. Yeah. We, I would say you were at our house like maybe 30 percent of your childhood <laughs> i would say yes maybe not but yeah you were around a lot and that was fun i feel like storytelling is a big part of our heck yeah just growing up like I, even before we get into it some of my earliest memories of laura is like we'd be telling stories and she'd get home from hanging out with her cool high school friends yeah. and she'd come like lay down next to us and then start telling us stories and it was like yeah that's all we did was tell stories yeah growing up <clears throat> Yeah, my brother, I was talking to him on the phone the other day and he was reminding me of that because I was telling him how I was going to be on the podcast and he's like, well, you've always told scary stories. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Um, I made them all up, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) right there. But I do have some for tonight just for some that that are real. (laughs) maybe a little exaggerated (laughs) one of the most infamous ones was seth and i i specifically remember we had worked each other into this like state where we were terrified and you come in and you're like you guys telling scary stories yep and you're like i got one and you sit down and you start telling this story and it was the scariest story i've ever heard and at first it started so fun and you had humor and we were laughing and then like you and your friends had a police scanner and you were following someone and the night progressed and it got more and more scary until finally you were locked in a closet upstairs in a second story room and someone was calling you and they said like I know where you are and I'm coming in. So you guys ran to the closet and shut the door and you heard the downstairs open and you heard footsteps coming up the stairs and then you go... I'm just kidding. I made that all up. Good night. And you just stood up and walked out. Oh, man. <laughs> and Seth and I were like clutching each other. We're like, what just happened? It's but, abuse. Yeah. <laughs> That's abuse. child abuse. It was funny. <laughs> Savage. Innocent boy child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, we'll kind of introduce ourselves and tell you guys about us. Um, so we're a married couple. We're both full-time working artists, which is rad. We love it. Um, we share a studio together, so we're pretty much working side by side every day and, um, do different mediums. So I do a lot of like photographic collage work. I do mixed media stuff and Havoc is a painter and a muralist Mm -hmm. recently has been doing really rad, massive murals. Um, we just celebrated 11 years married. Jeez. I know. Mm -hmm. Congrats. Thanks. And cool. nary a fight. 
<laughs> nary a fight. So that's that's a little bit about us. We let's see. What are my passions? What can I tell you? I this question is hard because I feel like I'm such a. Why don't you tell it about Havoc and Havoc tells it about you? All right. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I'd say Havoc is a lone wolf. He just, when I met him, I was always blown away because he'd arrive at a party by himself and leave by himself. Like he never would say bye to anyone. He would just like disappear. And he was just his own person, right? Like he didn't need to go to social events with like a buddy or anything like that. And that intrigued me about him. Um, And to this day, he's one of the most like comfortable people being by himself and alone and happiest, I think when when he's just by himself my passion is myself (laughs) (laughs) his passion is himself um and then what are you passionate about you like you like music you're you're pretty big into music um obviously art and what else man what are you he's really funny he's a funny person to live with like our whole marriage, he's like pranked me and done funny things like that. And that's always fun and interesting. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, they're the kind of pranks that are harmless. Mm-hmm. Like I, one time I was laying in the bathtub, taking a bath and over the, draped over the curtain came a Dorito on a string. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best. Holy yeah, smokes. It's like, like a prank right? that's like, oh, thank you. This is great. <laughs> Did you so, nibble? Yeah. <laughs> Of course I did. It's just like dangling. Hold her out by her teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Caught one. (laughs) Yeah. Reel her in. (laughs) So stuff like that. Um, It's a secret to 11 years. (laughs) Dorito strings. Yeah. It's totally, yeah, totally. But uh, yeah, he's the type of guy that goes to movies by himself. He inspired that in me. I've been going by myself. I love it. Love it. But there's always some like weird dude that sits right next to me and i'm like nope and i, I scoot over no shame man oh, i just I've never had that i just problem. get up and move <laughs> like i don't care awesome. all right havoc you want to describe me yeah i'd say laura's passionate about uh just the goodness that exists in humanity and i know that sounds super vague and broad but she she is extremely sensitive to the goodness that exists in people and the badness that exists in people. And if she senses badness, she will avoid you at all costs. And um, if she senses the goodness, she will be like your advocate for life. And that's how she lives her entire life with every person. She is just a seeker of goodness. And um, it's fun to watch her navigate life with that being her core premise. And she doesn't think about it. That's just that's just who she is. So I'd say that's like her number one passion that she can't help. I but love that. yeah, other than that, she's super passionate about um, like just like um, a- along with being an artist. She's she's hyper aware of like um, aesthetics in all things. Mm-hmm. So clothes, hair, makeup um architecture landscaping pretty much everything she's hyper aware of that thing those things so she's super passionate as an artist and i think it shows in her work like her work is always 
she knows everything that's out there and so she knows how to be different mm. to make stuff that's like as far removed from everything as possible i think so that's an advantage she has and she's passionate about that thanks awesome. well press pause we're gonna make out <laughs> <laughs> now keep it rolling <laughs> Um, I would totally agree with aesthetic, though. Like, your ability to command and present, I think, is, like, top I'm always like, damn, that's crispy. (laughs) So crispy, dude. It crunches. Oh, (laughs) Oh, thanks. I Now I feel bad about your... Because I didn't didn't say any real passions. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I can crack his knuckles real loud. (laughs) No, Uh, No, but for, for me as an artist, it's totally invaluable to share a studio with Laura as an artist because I get free free advice on all my stuff, all my creations from the pro here. She can look at anything I make and she'll say, no, that's not good enough. You need to do this, 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 and this. That's dope. It's good. Yeah, super, really super good. helpful. Yes men, too, yes, men are like terrible. Yeah. Someone who's just like, oh, that's awesome. And like, everyone is. is awesome. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone is. Yeah. They're afraid to like hurt your feelings. And it's like, if I'm in the this lane where I'm constantly creating, I know there's going to be people who don't like my work. That's right. fine. So tell me, you know, give me something constructive yeah. to work with. And and few things are sadder to me than seeing an artist wasting all of their time pursuing something that to everyone else is obviously uh, not a sellable product. But the artist thinks it is because no one will tell them. Mm-hmm. And when they finally figure it out, they're going to be so pissed at all of their friends that couldn't be honest with them. So annoying, dude. It's like those people uh, that would audition for Amer- this American Idol, and you're blown away that their parent or their friend or their spouse like let them get on there. You're like, absolutely you're like, not. They you obviously just... have no true friends. Yeah. Like no one was honest with this person. We it's... should we should do that as a test. Tell everyone in your friends and family you're you're really considering going on American Idol and then audition and be like, should I do it? <laughs> yeah. And if they tell you yes, you're like, okay, you're not my friend. You're all and you off. disown them. Yeah. <laughs> was art something you guys knew you always wanted to do? And oh, the visual medium as well. Like how quickly did you decide you want to get into that? So that's that's like goes straight to the core of my entire life story because I grew up in a in a culture where I felt that my number one job in life was to <clears throat> get the highest paying, lowest risk job as soon as possible so that I could provide for my family, quote unquote. And uh, so that automatically ruled any creative path out for me because there there's more risk in that than getting a degree in, say, I don't know, dentistry or, or um, what I was doing was business consulting. So it's like a guaranteed job, guaranteed income. But it just drained my life energy. Like, So I, I felt like I was stuck because I never thought, being an artist was an option. I thought the only thing that I can do is the thing that I hate the least because I hate I hate all my options. But the one I hate the least is one where you get to talk to people a little bit. So maybe like business consulting. Mm-hmm. And I went all the way through grad school doing this stuff and I got straight A's 
and uh, I couldn't stand it. And on accident, we were on summer break in Las Vegas for like a month, and it was near the end of the break, and I was just thinking, man, what can we do in these last few days? And Laura saw in the newspaper this open call audition, this open call audition for the Blue Man Group in Las Vegas, and I thought, dude, this this will be so fun. It's like I'm going to see the Blue Man Group without buying a ticket. So I'm just going to go like pretend like I'm <laughs> trying out. So we went there. It was so fascinating. Uh, but out of the like 150 people or whatever that were there, uh, I accidentally got called back <laughs> the next day. And then I got called back again. And by the end of callbacks, I was the only one. And they're like, yeah, we want you to be a blue man. I was like, <laughs> those are wild times. Yeah, so I was like, I have no idea what this is, but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> so I dropped out of grad school. We moved to New York, where the Blue Man training happens. They moved us there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the most amazing thing of my life up to that point. Yeah, so they paid for us to train. They gave us like this free condo in in Chelsea, Manhattan. So for Laura came, we were there for like just over a month. So for Laura, because she didn't work, it was like free New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how long were you married by that point? We've been married two years. Two years? Or a year and a half. Yeah. Year and a half. Okay. Yeah. And for me, it was like free New York plus free like go to this amazing thing every day, which was Blue Man Training. So for I just thought, yeah, this is this is too good to be true. But as it turns out, I knew a secret that they eventually figured out, which was I had no idea what I was doing. And at the end of training, they're like, Havoc, we think that you're a real blue man in real life. (laughs) And that's why we hired you, because we didn't think we'd have to train you. But as it turns out, you have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) So we want you to go to acting school and then come back and work for us. And at first I thought, yep, that's exactly what I mean. What's that? Grad that or grad school again? No, I'm I'm doing acting school. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, nah, I can't do that because what if I go to acting school, come back, and I don't get hired, then I'm an out of work actor? I can't do that. And, <laughs> and wow. yeah. And there were other reasons why why I didn't want to do it. Like one thing is the stress level was more than I'd ever experienced in my life because every day would show up, they'd say, Hey, welcome back to another day of training. Just so you know, we don't need you guys. There were five of us. They're like, just so you know, we don't need you guys. Good luck. And then <laughs> after like a week, we'd show up and, and one of the guys would not be there. And at the end of the class, they're like, hey, you might have noticed so-and-so was gone. We had to let him go. It just wasn't working out. Oh, and just a reminder, we don't need you guys either. But yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. And then- Showbiz. Showbiz, Jeez. dude. That's how it is. It was, oh man, dude. I, I, I got an ulcer for the first time in my life. I didn't even know what an ulcer was, but I'm like, I like how to go. I'm like, something is really wrong with my body. I didn't know your mental th- capacities could cause that much physical pain. It was, it was a super big wake-up call for me. But anyway, so, yeah, I decided not to do that. But here, here's here's the gist of the whole thing. It taught me that there are real creative jobs that pay really good money. And once I tasted that, then I knew right then, I'm like, I've, I'm going to be a creative, like, I can't go back to a boring cubicle. So that was me. That was that was that was our beginning journey to becoming artists. At that point, I'd never 
picked up a paintbrush. Like I didn't know how to paint. Laura didn't have a camera. She didn't know how to photograph. And, uh, (laughs) but we, but we had, you know, some natural inclination to be creative people. And we tried a lot of different things before we found what we were good at. And that took a couple years. But once we found what we were good at, then we, we really locked in and honed those skills and started developing products that people responded to. And yeah, at first only like friends and family would, would respond. And you're like, man, does that mean that what I have Mm. is really good? Mm. But when strangers started responding, that's when I knew I'm like, no, this is a real thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm an artist because you are just hanging out with you and watching you do your thing and, and helping you and critiquing and stuff like that. I've always been a visual person. So I think that was just the natural next step for me to start making my own stuff and, I love it. It's the date that never ends. Yeah. (laughs) Super, a lot of romance. Looking at your guys' art, it looks like you already have like an established style. Yeah. So do you feel like you've hit a stride? Yeah. Yes. I think so for sure. Yeah. Starting out? No. I mean, part, part, part of my journey was not only trying different mediums. Like I started out with exclusively with just spray paint. And that was my thing like... I would make these paintings and show them to people and they'd be like, wow, that's amazing. I'd say, and it's only spray paint. And they'd say, no way. So that was kind of my, I'm like, I'm going to ride this wave. (laughs) But I mean, now I almost never use spray paint um, because I've just found these other things that, um, I don't know, they're just aesthetically better coupled with my, what I can do with them. Um, I don't know. What was your question? Have you hit your stride? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, the first stuff I was making, in my opinion, is is so bad. I'm so embarrassed of it. I scrubbed it from the internet. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore because, to me, it just looks so amateur. And at the time, I thought it was pro, you know. But now that I'm pro, I can look back and I'm like, oh, that's so embarrassing. So, <laughs> so now I feel like, yeah, I've hit my stride. Uh, we kind of have a similar experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I'm just asking all these questions because, I don't know, I want to get into more art, but more on the sonic medium. Yeah. So, yeah. just hearing your story about it is cool. I'm talking about scrubbing early work, though. Oh. Yeah, I know. I know <laughs> yeah. what you're talking about, though. <laughs> he brushed over it, too. Yeah. He knew he's what you were like, saying, and he's no, like, nope. All good. We're trying to figure out how to deal with it, because we pulled down our first four episodes. Oh, you did? Mm. We did. Because oh, we'd be like, hey, listen to our podcast. And they'd be like, oh, I listened to episode one, and yeah. it's pretty good. And you're and like, like oh, nope, that's yeah. not the one to start on. Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah. could you start on five? That doesn't make sense, but... So See, how does it look on the podcast now? Like, it says, like five six and so people comment they're like where's one through four like don't worry about it yeah we're like (laughs) yeah i i was talking to somebody who reached out to me on reddit last night they're like hey i found your podcast um but where's one through where's one through four and i just told them uh we didn't think the quality was up to standard with what we're wanting right now Mm -hmm. so i actually think it's smart i do yeah i think it's totally smart you guys approve we Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. it's something. It's a, it's a play right out of our book, man. <laughs> it's like if you're not if you're not proud of it and it doesn't represent because it doesn't. What you guys are doing now, it's yeah. like 
if they listen to the first four, they're not going to get a good feel for what the podcast is now. So there is something charming though about going back to artists' old work mm-hmm. and seeing that, seeing their progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, but that's then. only charming when you when they're really good. Exactly, and no, then that's you what can I was go back to. and you're like, "Whoa, look at their journey! Whoa, mm-hmm. they." Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If there wasn't much progression since that point, then it's like, yeah, there, there's no charm. It's just like, oh, bro, you're the same. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have plans, though, because here's the thing. There's stories on one through four that are my absolute favorite scary stories ever. Yeah. So we're going to readdress them one day, and it could be through live shows when we go perform mm. in front of people, or we might just re-record them and retell them. Mm-hmm. Good enough. Good enough. I mean, uh, I've repainted paintings that sucked, and now that I repainted them with new skill set, they're they're great. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But listening to you guys, yeah, there's like so many parallels where it's like <laughs> your family telling yeah. you you're good, you're good. It's like okay, yeah. And that's where we're at. We're like, are we? Should we quit? I don't. <laughs> you know, like, like, are you good or are you mm-hmm. not? How can you tell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The experimentation phase is like trying to find like what you can hone in on what yeah what your strength is and uh also getting that feedback from strangers which we've started getting more frequently which has been a huge motivator valuable but it's like validating and you know they're not yes men yeah because they're not going to come out of nowhere they don't know you and say i love your stuff and they don't right right well here's the thing guys like your market or your audience i guess is going to be it's a niche market you mm-hmm. know or an, I, sh- I should say an audience but um i think less people than we think are into scary th- stories do you think like i think or we're into them so we, th- we think everybody is i kind of feel that way because one of my most common feedback we get is i started your podcast but i had to turn it off because it was too scary oh. and i we get that mm. all the time and in yeah. a way i'm like or I laugh it off like, haha, that's a that's a compliment. But in but I'm like, damn, like people out there don't like scary stories like <laughs> Wait, I do. But yeah. but are, is this like a accurate sampling? Because look at the horror um, market. Hmm. Like look at all the horror films that keep getting pumped out. Hmm. So my my philosophy as an artist has always been, it actually doesn't matter how good or bad you are at making your product. There is another person in the world who will buy it. The hard part is connecting with that person. They don't even know you exist right now, right? How do you find them? How do they find you? But that's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario, you make something horrible. There's one person who will buy it if you can find them. But the better you get, your sampling increases. And yeah, these niche markets, like obviously just based off like the movie industry, like there's there's got to be hundreds of thousands, millions of people Oh, absolutely. I mean, that will eat this stuff up because they already do. It's just connecting with them. It's just how do you market to them? And instead of accidentally spending your energies marketing to the wrong Hmm. segment that will not eat up. They like it, but they have to turn it off. Yeah, I think I agree. I think your audience is smaller than the population overall, but that's still millions and millions millions of people. Right. It's big enough is what I'm saying. Mm hmm. Um, so I think you guys are doing a really good job. I like it a lot. Thank you. Back on you. Yeah. Though. <laughs> All right. Do you guys want to hear some stories? Dude, whatever. Take it away. Cause we, we got some. And by the way, I have one story 
It's my biggest story of my entire life, so I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you guys sometime, like tonight. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> okay. Have Have I heard this story? Yeah, a couple times. All right. All right. This remind. This is a little bit of a tangent, but along those lines, this is funny. That uh, so we <laughs> havoc. I feel like I know everything about him, but then he pulls this. <laughs> or we're at this art show and it's it's a weird art show that it's kind of like performance type art and there's this girl in she's laying in a massive fish tank and uh, you're supposed to take a little bit of sand and sprinkle it on her and a little bit of something else and sprinkle it on her and then you're supposed to like get in not get in there like <laughs> but like kneel down in there so your face is close to hers and you're supposed to tell her a secret that nobody else knows. So I'm like thinking up something, you know, it's stupid. And I whisper it to her, <laughs> whatever, and I move on. And I look back and Havoc's like full on like two minutes <laughs> like, <laughs> telling her the secret. And I'm like, what? So afterwards, I'm like. He's telling her about the Dorito. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, did crunchy. you tell her a secret? Like a legitimate one? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? I, do I know it? Nope. <laughs> oh. nope. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, I didn't care. But uh, okay, so I have some stories about some meth heads. <laughs> Dude, cool. Our favorites. They can be <laughs> so scary. Speaking of New York, we were... In, we were living in New York. I was walking by myself on the street and I just see, I just go based off vibes of people. Sometimes, you know, you're just like, ooh, something's weird. There's this man standing in the middle of the sidewalk and it looks like his face kind of got blown up a little bit. Like, just, just casually blown just, up a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little blown up. <laughs> um, but like, really, like, the whole center of his face was like sunken in. So it was kind of like a hole in his face. Um, so you'll see that sometimes and you're like, oh man, that's sad or whatever. This looked like evil. Like he was like staring me down, like staring me down. And I'm walking towards him and I'm like, I don't want to like dodge him. That's rude. But he was like intimidating me on purpose like it was one of those things where he was like trying to like make me uncomfortable so i kind of move over and he moves into my path and That's so i'm like a whole new yeah okay. yeah and i like can't even look at this guy it's so terrifying so i like move over to the other side and he again blocks my path and i like kind of scurry past him i'm like what are you doing i scurry past him and right then this lady behind me she's like what are you doing? Get out of my way. <laughs> like, she's like, you nasty mother. <laughs> and she just like takes care of it. And I was just like, whoa. It totally rattled me though because he just like knew he could kind of use mm -hmm. whatever had happened to his face to just like scare like, people to death. Capitalizing on his. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> Probably and sensed your fear a little too. Maybe I don't Totally. Know. He's kind of like, that's fine. I'll use it. So, um, <laughs> But on the other hand, isn't that kind of amazing? Like this guy obviously had something tragic probably happen and he's like, I'm going to go with it. He's <laughs> like, most people would be destroyed by this, not me. This is my hobby now. This is the new me. I, I respect that, that a little true. bit. <laughs> that is true. 
Yeah, I can respect that. I've never Seriously. thought about that. <laughs> yeah. But intimidating young ladies is probably not a good hobby, <laughs> regardless of your situation. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, we want to hook you up. Um, by getting it off your chest uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet, uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 3am. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Um, all right, here's my meth head story. So a couple years ago, it's a absolute whiteout blizzard. And probably 7.30 in the morning. We're sleeping. We get this knock at the door. And Havoc gets out of bed and opens it. So I'm just laying in bed listening to this interaction. I hear a woman talking really, really quietly. So I can't really understand what she's saying. But Havoc's basically getting his boots on and, you know, heading out the door. So I get up and I look out there and there's this woman. She's standing like I said, it's in a blizzard and she's got like a really light like hoodie on. Um, like a zip up hoodie and then she's got jeans on and they're kind of like halfway down her butt. Like her butt's just out. Her pants um, are undone. Yeah, and I'm like, whoa, like, you know, and I just see the back of her so I don't know what, what's going on and Havoc's kind of starting to dig the car out because it's just like piled with snow. So I go out there and kind of ask what's going on. And when she turns around, she's just like, she's just like out, like in another dimension, just can't speak, can't communicate, um, looks pretty rough and w won't talk, like won't say anything. And looking at me with super wide eyes, just like really, really wide eyes. So I... I'm asking her questions and she's just not saying anything. So I go up to Havoc and I'm just like, what's, what's going on? And he says that he's not sure either. Cause she won't say anything. He's like, the only thing I've gathered is that she just wants a ride. So yeah, she wants a ride and I'm saying, where do you want to go? And every time you, you like get close to finding out real information, she'll say that's personal information. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd say, where do you want to go? And she's like, that's personal information. I'm like, okay. And and so my thinking is my thinking is she's she's wearing like summer clothes um in the middle of winter. It's super cold. I'm going to take her to like a public library or something where she'll at least be inside. 
I thought that that's my Boy Scout obligation. So that's what that's what I was getting ready for was to take her to like the nearest gas station or public library, which was like five blocks away. Yeah. So at some point you go inside to get a different shovel or something, but there's a, there's a point where I let her in the car and I go into the driver's seat and I'm just sitting in there. So she's sitting right behind she's, you. No, she's sitting next to me. She's in the passenger seat. Sorry. Oh, she's you're in, in the driver. I'm in the driver. Oof. And I just say. No, she's in the back seat. You're in the passenger seat. No, I'm driving. Or are this you is driving? Be, this is before you got in the car. Okay. Before you got in the car, I sat her in the passenger seat. I'm sitting in the driver's seat, and I say to her, "Do you need help?" And she just says, "No." And I said, "Is there anyone we can call for you? Do you have family or friends that we can call?" And she says, "That's personal." I'm like, "You." help me out here <laughs> you know what like i didn't know to take her a shelter or what Just throw me a bone yeah, right so anyways eventually i get in the back because Havoc comes out he's driving and we start to drive towards the library because we're like we don't know where to drop her off and at some point i've got just both eyes on her and she grips her legs like just white knuckle gripping her legs and she like just pivots her head super fast and looks at havoc and it look like her eyes are so bulging that it looks like she's about to just rip into him i'm terrified in the back so i just put my hand gently on her shoulder and i just say everything's cool just relax and she starts to just like relax a little bit and her aren't her her hands come off her legs she does that a couple times and each time i'm like she's gonna like just lash out or something because it, it seemed like she would have these moments where she became aware of the surrounding that she was not aware of one second previously so it's like the last thing she remembers is i don't know yesterday but then all of a sudden she's like in a car being kidnapped like that's what her reactions were like oh. yeah it was wild so we get to the library and we we're like all right see ya and she won't get out of the car <laughs> and won't talk and so we're like hmm <laughs> you gonna get out she just sits there she's like can you take me farther yeah she says it like that quietly and we're like farther <laughs> all right like but into she, the she'll mountain. never tell us where so so we have to suggest like how about i take you to the next gas station she's like okay yeah so we take her to the gas station won't get out of the car and eventually she wants us, she's like, can you take me to Salt Lake City? Which is, it's a, like, you know, an hour. It's going to be an hour and a half in this weather, mm-hmm. right? It's One way. One, yeah. So we're like, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> pick, pick another place, you know? And so we're like, how about the gas station near the highway? And maybe you could like hitch a ride maybe. So anyways, we take her to a Maverick that's like right off the freeway and won't get out. Like, and this she is just, just yeah. And so, so you're like talking to her, trying to coax her. And yes. Is she just staring forward straight? Well, she keeps saying like, can you take me to the next stop? And I said, this is the next stop. <laughs> and that's that's when she finally got out. But But you had to walk around and open her door. You walked around, opened her door, and she still sat there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we basically just like played a waiting game and eventually she got out. But when she got out, she again, like she forgot where she was. And so she like turned around and like 
went back to the car and like put her hand on the door to open it. But then she like remembered that she just got out. So she let go of the door and like slowly walked up to the the building. It's actually way sad, right? It's like one of those things where you're like, ooh. Here's That's the thing, though. I think you guys did way more than I would have done. Oh, <laughs> really? For sure. I would have peepholed it on the first <laughs> knock and be like, nope, nope. good night. <laughs> yeah. I, while you were telling that, I was just amazed at your ability to like diffuse Accommodate. any yeah yeah diffuse any potential like situations stabbings escalation escalations yeah yeah um i feel like most people would say no at first and as Hello, soon as provo she, pd um <laughs> yeah i feel like there's no training for this stuff no that's, like that's true you that's don't true. learn this in school there's not like a community class like what to do when someone approaches you and says these things and so you you give away a certain amount of money before you realize oh I'm being scammed, you know they they don't need bus money, they just took my money and <laughs> ran away car. laughing. <laughs> they said it was yeah. They don't gas. need gas money. They're driving a car. In anyways, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I I did call the cops right after that and just said, hey, you might want to go pick someone up. She's in a rough state, and they said, yeah, we'll we'll go check her out. So there was that, but. Hmm. Um, that's scary though because yeah. you're in an enclosed place you don't know what yeah. they're thinking and especially it's like I think you pick up vibes and moods and you could tell she was like ramping up for something super unpredictable yeah you have no idea what what could happen what if she had a little rusty screwdriver on her or something totally mm-hmm. and here's the thing here's the thing <laughs> you, you you function as a, as a regular civilian in society and you know how the average person thinks even though everyone's different but you've got a gauge for the for the for the median but every now and then you run into someone who is an outlier and it doesn't matter what you think you're not going to be able to predict what they're thinking and what they'll do they don't match any of the patterns you have and and that's i mean that's like the basis of fear right the unknown Mm. you don't know and that's scary you're not in control of anything that's scary you are not a predator you are a prey that is scary it was creepy yeah but still sad i'm I'm not gonna tell any more meth head stories i feel bad (laughs) (laughs) i know there's someone listening that's like i shouldn't do meth anywhere (laughs) so maybe i should (laughs) i mean that's like half my hometown population so (laughs) hawaii was the meth capital of the world at one point whoa really Actually, okay. I'm going to cut you off. I'm sorry. Yeah. Possession is one of the subjects where I think that's the subject I hold in most reverence, oh, if yeah. that's the right word, yeah. or preservation. Where, like That's the one subject I'm not really down to dive into. Mm. Right. And I have some listeners who tell us every time we start bringing up anything to do with demons or Satan, they turn us off. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. It's tricky because uh, when you talk about anything that's, quote-unquote spiritual in nature, then most of the people who would believe that also believe in some religion, right? And I would I would guess that most, whatever the majority of religions that people believe in are telling them what spirits are good and what spirits are bad. And so whether it's true or not, they're, they've got this outlook 
that triggers emotions based off what kind of spirit you're talking about. And that's, I mean, everybody knows religion (laughs) is so psychologically powerful with so many people that just trigger words are enough to shut people down. It's true. We we have a friend that's really uncomfortable with just ghost stories because you've talked about this before. And even Halloween. Yeah, Halloween. Because you've you've talked about how like you believe in um, you can invite you know it's it's whatever you are allowing will basically come to the, the come to the table you know mm-hmm. if you're kind of like hey we're we're gonna go into this and allow this power to be here then it will possibly but it goes both ways like you can I mean good quote unquote good spirituality and bad and evil and righteousness and good it's it's like you kind of can dictate what experience you have, which I like because you have control. Mm. I feel like if you kind of are dismissive and you disregard it in a sense, then there really is not a whole lot of power in it. Like my mom will watch a scary, like the most terrifying thing. And she's like, this is so stupid. <laughs> she just do- doesn't feed it at it all. Just, mm-hmm. She doesn't feed it. And so it's just like immediately when she does that, I'm like, Oh, you're right. And you're gripping your blanket. Yeah, like it's like horrible. It's like taking over my entire body and I'm <laughs> tense and I'm like, I I can't relax. Like this is horrible. My mom would be like, this is so lame. And I'm like, it's like instant, like gone. It's like, no, you're right. This is so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It's like hypnotism, right? It's like yeah. people that are that believe they can be hypnotized are hypnotized. Mm-hmm. There are so many people that are like, there's no way I can be hypnotized. And they're not like, they just so can't get in that So then there's the question, space. is hypnotism real? If you don't believe in it, is mm. it still real? Mm. So same thing with like aliens, UFOs, spiritual things, demons, whatever. You don't believe in it, but is it still real? I think we talked a little bit about it before where we, at least in our group, think that things are still real because we can't prove otherwise. Mm. Even if like, I don't believe that hypnotism is real, just hypothetically speaking, I can't prove that it's not real, even if it doesn't work on me. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of cases where it is. And also, you know, perception is reality. Right. Yeah. I go with the perception is reality thing. Cause, cause for something to be real because we can't prove it's real, that opens up an infinite amount of things that exist now because we can't prove they're real. Like I could say, you know, this purple uh, ball is floating in the universe beyond our perception and you can't prove that's not true. So it is, it actually is. Mm -hmm. Like there's just an infinite amount of things that exist now with that. But the perception is reality thing. That to me is, I mean, that's, that's undeniable. I think it's like whatever you perceive as real in your mind to you, that is the world. And that is, it's going to affect you as if it's real. Yes. So, but then of course that original question, regardless of your perceptions, whatever you think is real or not real, there are things that are, real outside of your perceptions Hmm. and outside of mine and outside of everyone's. I mean, I feel like that's kind of like part of the magical journey of life is finding out what, what really is real. And that's, I mean, that's a hard game, but 
let the journey continue. It's also too, it's even, even as a skeptic, right? So I love all this. I love paranormal stuff. I love thinking about aliens and ghosts and all of that, but I'm still skeptic, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll have an experience that I know I experienced. I was there, I had the experience and I still will question. I find that so weird. It's like, why, why am I question? I mean, I had the experience. I think it's just because I don't, at the end of the day, I don't know that I necessarily believe that it was outside of reality, but it was like it happened. Hmm. I don't know. It's weird because I, when it comes right down to it, I'm like, am I really 100% confident saying that was a ghost? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like all signs are pointing to there was a ghost in this room because no person that I can see did this or whatever. But I don't know. There's always that doubt. And maybe it's just because I don't give it much weight. Like it doesn't Mm. usually affect anything beyond that you know it's like i don't change my mind about things or it's not like a profound experience it's just one that's unexplained like hard to explain but okay so i've got what i think is a real ghost story when i was a kid like elementary school and i was sleeping on our living room couch there was carpet on the floor it was a very small room um everyone else was asleep and it was dark, but not so dark that I couldn't see all of my surroundings. So my eyes had adjusted to the dark. And I was trying to fall asleep, and I heard these footsteps in the same room that I was in, which would have been like three feet away from the couch I was on. And it was just, these footsteps were just pacing back and forth across the carpet, like shh, 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 shh. Kind of like when you're walking through carpet and you're wearing slippers, so it's kind of like a you're you're stepping but also slide stepping, you know. But as a kid, I didn't I didn't like think of ghosts, so I didn't really know what it was. And I thought, man, it must just be like a noise that this house makes. But I didn't know that because I usually sleep downstairs. Maybe this is just an upstairs noise. Hmm. And it hap- it, it went on for like five minutes, and it would like stop. And then it would like start up again. And it's like right in front of me. But with my eyeballs, there was nothing, nothing to see. So you're just looking around the room and you could see nothing? I could see nothing, but audibly it was, it was there. So as a kid, like I wasn't scared because I didn't know what could be scary right in front of me that I couldn't see. So I didn't think of that until years, decades later, I was in my, early 20s and I was in a different country and I was again in a small room on a couch with carpet and I heard the same footsteps only as an adult now or young adult whatever I had enough you know world understanding of like whoa these things called ghosts or whatever Mm -hmm. and there was no other explanation I could put to it because uh and this time the light was on in the room The light was on. I was the only one in the room. And these footsteps were... Because, I mean, your ears, you've developed the skill set. When you hear something, usually you can tell how far away it is from you. That's survival, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I can tell 
if my eyes are closed and you go anywhere you want in the room and you say something, whether you yell it or whisper, I can pretty accurately tell how far away you are to me. Mm-hmm. I knew where these footsteps were. They were like five feet away from me. And they were the exact pace and cadence of a human gait. So that's the what I think is my best real-life ghost story. Of course, I have no idea what it was. So but, why don't you think it's a ghost? Well, because I, since I don't know what it was, I hesitate to say I know what it was mm. because I don't. Yeah. But I like to think it was a ghost because that seems like such a cool thing to me. Why do you think you heard it on multiple times or multiple instances? Well, Any thoughts? I have no idea because the two seem so unrelated to me. Like the only commonality was I was present in both events. They both were small rooms with carpet, but they were on different sides of the world and decades apart. And you hadn't been like thinking about that event no, beforehand. I like, no, I locked that away in my memory with with every other childhood memory. It's Got like you. it's like pretty much nothing. Uh, did it come did you think about it again? Oh, immediately. As, as it happened. I, I thought about it immediately because it was the same thing. Mm. It's like if you, I don't know, it's like you have some childhood memories of like maybe you tasted something or you smelled something mm-hmm. and you're an adult and you'll get like this whiff of smell in the air. And immediately. Yeah, and you remember like this one food or candy that you ate as a kid that you, you had not thought about since you ate it. Mm-hmm. You're like, whoa, super nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. Spooky nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the, and I'm not saying this is the entire philosophy behind like a skeptic, but I feel like some of the logic behind skepticism is, okay, at least for, I feel like a lot of us in this room, we're not going to actively 100% deny like the existence of these kind of things happening because as you just shared, you've had some of those things happen. Um, but you're still skeptic about saying or skeptical about saying that it was a ghost because of like the possibility of like anything happening, anything. It's like, I'm not going to take the bait and jump to the first reason yeah. that we've conjured up saying it's, it's a ghost. Like there's so many other things that maybe could have been. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid on that. Right. So maybe just like waiting to see, you know, all the other possible reasons and yeah. weighing them. I'm with you. Yeah, I like to consider myself a realist. And part of that is not forcing uh, explanations onto things. Hmm. And yeah. in fact, like, even for me, like, oh my gosh. Is there any explanation for what I just saw? <laughs> it's a ghost. Okay. It's a ghost. <laughs> um, playing devil's advocate because I think in the group Sean has a really healthy skepticism mm. I think I think I would talking for him I think he agrees with a lot of what you're saying <laughs> yeah um, me me on the other hand is like I want things to be real because it's a better story in my mind <laughs> so I'm constantly tr- like I think I tend to like lean to anyway fantasize yeah, yeah. it so I respect that yeah you hearing the same noise decades later halfway around the world it's like what other explanation is there that's that's pretty crazy so laura actually has 
kind of the part three to that story. I do. So my story goes so much in line with his. And that's why I hear him and his. And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've had that. So me, my mom, and my sister were in Amsterdam. We stayed in this uh, like 15th century home. And it was an Airbnb. It was super beautiful. The, the owner was this art book publisher. And it was just beautiful. And we all three stayed in this one room. Like two years ago. Yeah, it's a couple years ago. It's in this like library room upstairs, right? All three of us are sort of jet lagged, having a hard time sleeping. But, you know, we've been in bed for like an hour. My mom's asleep. And I think my sister was asleep and I'm just laying there. And all of a sudden, uh, my sister gets up and is walking around the room. So I'm just still laying there and I assume maybe she's like can't sleep and she's getting something out of her bag or something. So after probably two minutes of her walking around the room, I finally sit up to, to ask her like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you looking for? And I'm, I sit up and it's dark. And so I wait for my eyes to adjust and I see her just asleep on the couch. And I am wood bold, floors, wood floor. Like there is no mistaking. This is somebody walking in the room. Right. And it was, it really was super confusing and terrifying because it was like i know what i heard <laughs> like, did, what, what what did you do what was your action were you just like <laughs> well so i say odge you know my, my sister's name and no answer because i'm like already trying to convince myself no she was up and she just hurried and st- like laid down quick quick question when you opened your eyes were the footsteps still happening yes so I'm looking into the room at somebody walking around. You could see like a, a personage? Oh, no. I just, I'm hearing oh, okay, it. Okay, okay. I'm looking in the room trying to find it. Like, mm-hmm. where is she? Is she in that corner? It's a, it's a somewhat of a big room. And um, when I said Odge, it, they stopped. And I'm like, she's just on the couch asleep. So that's wild. So I fall asleep after like another hour. I don't know how, and I'm like thinking about it. I wake up an hour later to my mom saying, Audrey, Audrey. And I I wake up and I hear the footsteps again. My mom's sitting up and she goes, why is Audrey walking around? And I said, she's asleep on the couch. I heard these two. And as we're talking, they stop and she's like, did you hear the footsteps? I'm like, I just heard them. So this whole time, Audra's just, just been asleep. And my mom's like, what, what? Like, some, is someone in the room? And I'm like, I don't see anyone. And we just were like, that's creepy. Heck so no. next morning, of course, we tell Audra, we're like, did you get up at all? She's like, no, I passed out. She's like, I took a sleeping pill and I was out the whole night. We me and my mom told her what had happened and just, I mean, like 15th century home, you're like, that's a ghost. hundred <laughs> percent. I'm going to go say, this one is a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Case a ghost. closed. I'm on record. Have you yeah. ever seen her sleepwalk before? Um, There is a story of her she, sleepwalking when she was little. Yeah. When she was little, she sleepwalked, but like I saw her on the couch, right? Like I heard the steps, but I saw her on the couch. She was just, she was asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, 
So yeah. Have was... you guys ever heard that from anybody? Like footsteps in the room? So the, the house I grew up in, um, the one that you've been to, mm-hmm. each, each of the Hatch kids, all of my siblings, have come together in later years and shared experiences. And we're all convinced that something was happening. Um, and the most common one was just hearing like really deliberate footsteps up and down our wood stairs. Oh, that's interesting. In the nighttime? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but with yours, like you said, Odd, and the footsteps stop and you see her on the couch and all that happened quicker than she could have laid down, right? Oh, yeah, totally. And she, in the morning, she told you. It just, it was not her. <laughs> she was asleep. And there was no like story or the footsteps were in the room. They, they were, were like right around our bed. They were like oh. walking around the bed. It wasn't even like, oh, maybe that's upstairs or maybe that's in the hallway. That's that what was I was like, going to say. What if it was like attic or? No. Like me and my mom were like, someone's walking around the bed. Maybe the guy was one level below and he had two shoes on broomsticks <laughs> walking on the ceiling. <laughs> that's got to be it. <laughs> that's bar, even creepier though. <laughs> yeah. We did, we did want to ask this guy if the house was haunted or if the other air, because he Airbnb'd it. Like that was like half of his income. So message everyone. Yeah. No, I wanted to, to be like, have there been other stories, you know, but unfortunately we didn't feel like we could with him because we had already pissed him off when we... <laughs> <laughs> and so we we just he had listed on airbnb that he provided breakfast right he's like i'll make you breakfast so we get there like oh man this our first our first thing that made him mad is we got there at like midnight because we're just idiots we take the train we we show up in amsterdam we've never been there with our bags and stuff and it's like i don't have you any of you been to amsterdam mj has not me it's like a party it's like a party in the the streets like let's go boys no it's, it was cool <laughs> but we were like exhausted overwhelmed we get off this train and we have luggage and there's like people zooming around on bikes and just like bumping in the streets and everybody's like eating late and we're like the whole city's a party right now right and it's That's just like cool. a regular friday night and we stayed in the red light district and so we're like so that that's a thing too right we're like we're like whoa (laughs) like we're right in the heart of the red light district and we're trying to find this this house and he's like texting us like where are you like two hours three hours before and we're just like oh we're on the train i'm sorry we're trying to find it we get there he's like crusty he is pissed he's just like gotten out of bed to let us in and we're like we're sorry then in the morning, my mom has the gall to say, <laughs> she's like, I'm, where's breakfast? You know, like, she's like, I don't see him down there making breakfast. And I'm like, just don't, we'll get it out. Like, we'll just like, don't worry about it. And she's like, no, it says he's gonna, I'm like, let me just go scope it out. So I walk down there and there's like another couple that's staying another place in the house and they're just eating their own breakfast, cooking their own. So I went up, I, I'm like, mom, breakfast is off. Like, get it off your mind. It's not happening. They made their own. And she's like, I'll, I'm going to ask. I'm like, no. <laughs> so she comes back like giggling and she's like all embarrassed. <laughs> I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> she says that she goes down there and he's just like drinking coffee. And she's like, um, what about breakfast? <laughs> and he just looks at her and goes, no breakfast (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious okay just like walks up the stairs so i'm like we can't ask him about the haunt like he hates us we can't (laughs) yeah especially at that point i don't 
I haven't had anything with footsteps, but... But you have with back rubs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a ghost back rub. Um, this happened uh, while I was living in the Philippines, and um, it was just uh, me and my homie. We were roommates, and this place this place sucked. Like, I woke up one night to a rat on me. Oh! Yeah. It was terrible. Story over. Yeah, yeah, that's the scariest story. <laughs> yeah, that might be the scariest part. I should have saved that part. I would have cut the flesh off where it was touching me. <laughs> yeah, it was gross. Um, but in that same place, <laughs> just to add to it, um, I remember one night, uh, you know how you have like, you're just talking with, like, if you have like a sleepover or whatever. This is like me and my roommate. Just We're just pa- talking just late. Pillow talk. Just pillow talk, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like you talk until you don't even know what time and then you guys slowly start dozing off. Like 10 minutes go by, no one talks. Yeah. And just as we're dozing off again, um, I'm like, we're in bunk beds. I'm on the bottom. I'm like laying on my side facing towards the wall. And immediately, for some reason, I just get this crazy feeling of like all the hairs on my back standing up mm. and a second after that happened my roommate goes yo 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 and i i, I don't know why i was just scared for no reason mm. i don't know why i had that feeling well, something's triggering yeah um i didn't answer him i didn't want to answer him i just want to act like i was sleeping oh you left him hanging yeah i, I super too. left him hanging but um he was like yo do you see that? Oh. Uh-uh. No. That's what he says. Exactly. He says, do you see that? And he's like, <laughs> he's on the top bunk and he's like whispering through like in between the bunk and the wall. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, did you see that? Oh. And I wait a few seconds, which feels like hours. And I say, no. <laughs> I say, <laughs> he's like, look at the door, look at the door. And I just reply to him. I say, I am not looking at this door. <laughs> I'm not looking. Describe it to me. And it, it was like probably like 30 seconds of us going back and forth. Um, but eventually he jumps out of the bed, runs to the door and flicks the light on. And there was like a street light outside. Uh, our bedroom door was left open. That's how we slept. And uh, there was a street light outside that shined into the house. So we could kind of see a little bit if you're looking, which I wasn't, and he was. <laughs> but he jumped out of bed, flicked the light on, and then I got out when the lights were on. And we looked throughout the house, which was tiny, tiny, tiny house. Um, and nothing. There was nothing there. But, but did he say what he saw? Yes. I asked him. I was like, okay, so what is it that you saw? And he said he saw a figure halfway in and out of the doorway peering in at us oh so and was just, your room inside a house like the doorway went into a hallway or something so the house was you walk in through the front door and it's just a dining room and kitchen and there's two doors it was kind of long and there were two doors one was to the bathroom one to our bath or one to our bedroom so someone could have come in the house and then just like here's the peeked thing in on you. This is the Philippines, so all the houses usually have like barred gates for doors and bars on their windows. 
And our house had a gate for the front door with a padlock on it. And we locked it every time we left and every time we went to bed. So there was no way getting in or out. And the bars weren't big enough for even a child to slip in and out. And this person was maybe my height, six feet tall. And peering in, that's what he saw. But just the fact that I felt something and then he said something to me Mm. after that saying, did you see that? And then, dude, dude just that image of someone peeking in, so like a silhouette. Away, oh. Just leaning into the room. And I'm a, I'm you a, sensed it. Like, you you sensed it without even seeing it. Yeah. Like, I felt fear in my body. Wow. So, <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. But That's extra scary when you mm-hmm. feel a rush of fear. Preempt. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you, though. I would take that over the rat still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, no contest. Absolutely. Like, bring the peeker back. Where was the rat on your body? Like it was, it was on my arm. It like <laughs> I woke up to it scurrying across my arm. Nope. And I heard it like slip through in between the bed and the wall on the oh, side of me. Just this fat then, body wiggling around, yeah. like, trying to. In the we oh. caught maybe like. 20 to 30 rats while we were living there. Uh, like I ended up buying traps and then every time we set them up without fail, we'd catch a rat and dump them. All right. Okay. What are your stories? Okay. So I'll go from least crazy to most, what I, yeah, like kind of like, like bizarre. I like that. Okay, I like that too. Least crazy. It's this one is me. I was uh, probably preschool age just this like super tiny kid and however it worked out we lived in a house where me as the youngest i got the biggest bedroom it was even bigger than my parents room (laughs) come on come on youngest (laughs) how it worked out (laughs) (laughs) that never works out like that (laughs) i don't know i got the biggest room And uh, I also had a queen bed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're lying. Damn privilege. <laughs> it's true. So, okay, I think, I think, I mean, I'm just guessing now, but I think part of that was I was in the quote-unquote guest room. So when guests came, I got kicked out of that room and the guests took that room. Okay. But in, we almost never had guests. So that was my, that was my room. Actually, there were two beds in there. <laughs> One of them was a queen bed, and that's the one I slept in. So this this queen Got bed options. was <laughs> <It's> a tiny <laughs> prince. <laughs> it was pushed up in the corner, so it had two walls and two open spaces. Mm-hmm. So this not happen- only happened to me once; it happened to me twice. Like fool me twice, shame on me. That happened. Shame on me. But nevertheless, this tiny kid, me, I'm sleeping in there. I wake up in the middle of the night because I had a nightmare. So I'm like already like so scared. And and that room was pitch black. Like there was no adjusting your eyes. It was pitch black. You could not see a thing. So I wake up, I'm terrified. My instinct is what it always was, like go to my parents' room and like crawl into bed with them, get comfort. So I'm terrified. And by the way, this queen size bed to a little kid is like, you don't just like throw your legs over and get out. You like you like have to travel a couple body lengths distances just to like get off the mattress. So I'm like moving across the mattress and all of a sudden, like instead of getting off the bed, I run into this wall that's like right up against the mattress. 
and I'm like using my hands and I'm filling to one side, trying not to freak out, <laughs> filling to the other side. And in my mind, there's only one explanation. While I was asleep, somebody built a wall and boxed in the bed <laughs> because I knew there were two other walls on the other side. <laughs> so, and so my, right before I freak out, I think, oh no, 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 no. I'll just climb off the end of the bed. There, so I go, I'm crawling across the mattress and there's a fourth wall. <laughs> and at that point I, I lose it because I thoroughly believe that there are four walls all the way around my mattress and it's pitch black and that's, that's my life now. Uh, Dude, that's terrifying. That was like, yeah, truly one of the scariest moments of my entire life. I still remember it to this day because that's how traumatizing it was. So what did you do? Did you scream? I, I screamed and I cried because I thought that was the end of my life. And then Natural. as I'm like kneeling in the bed facing one of these walls, bawling, the light flips on and all of a sudden I see this wall and I'm so confused. <laughs> and I like start to look around and there's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's okay. But... I do I do remember this happened twice. Same yeah. exact same thing. I wake up, I'm terrified, I'm like, no. I like I'm I hit the wall and I'm like, wait, no, remember this happened last time. Don't freak out. Just go off the end of the bed. I'm like, there's another wall. <laughs> like, it really did happen this time. Were you just getting turned around in your journey across the mattress? No, I, I woke up disoriented and I thought like right was left, the head of the bed was the foot of the bed. So you're just heading to the corner. <laughs> so I'm I'm like I'm like I'll get off the side of the bed that's open. I go, but there's a wall. <laughs> so at that point I'm like totally turned around. Yeah. And I'm like Well, I'll just go off the end, but it's actually the head, yeah. <laughs> Are you a heavy sleeper? I can be, yeah. I can be. Um We're gonna build a cardboard box <laughs> wall. Oh, one night and <laughs> just cover your just bed. Feeling, of, feeling like being so evil. <laughs> and you'll flip on the light when I start screaming. <laughs> yeah. What else you got? Okay, so this next story, this is a story my mom told me. My mom, like myself, I think she would consider herself a realist. Uh, she, for the most part, I would say. But this is like one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. And I like try to ask her like questions to like find a loophole. But I don't even know what to ask. Um, But basically she says when she was a little girl, she slept in this bedroom in the basement of their house. And one night she woke up and there was a woman sleeping in her bed by her and this woman had long dark hair really long dark hair and uh i asked my mom you know i'm asking whatever questions i can think like were you scared And she's like no i wasn't scared like i knew the lady was like not there to hurt me or anything i said so what did you do and she's like well i didn't want to wake her up um so i got out of bed and i like got on the floor and i like slept on the floor and then eventually she like um, got up later in the night and the woman was still in the bed and my mom like went in the hallway 
and like slept in the hallway and the next morning like the woman was gone so I don't know what to make of that because my mom's a little girl in this story. But she like she tells me that story and she believes that that's exactly what happened. I said, "Did you tell your parents?" She said, "No, like I didn't tell my parents because um she like didn't feel like she had a good relationship with her parents and and her brothers and sisters would just like make fun of her or something." So mm-hmm. weird, huh? She never touched the woman or Oh yeah, I brushed shoulders with her. I didn't ask that. Yeah. I think that the the sense I got from the story was that my mom thinks that she was a tangible physical person. But but my all of my questions were how did she get in the room? And my mom has no idea how because it was a basement room, so it was one of those windows that's like the size of a shoebox mm-hmm. yeah. basically. So those were kind of my questions was how did she get in there and my my mom didn't know. Hmm. Crazy. Stories about when you're sleeping terrify me because you're so vulnerable. And I'm always oh, like yeah. super acutely aware of how vulnerable I am at night mm-hmm. and when I'm sleeping. So it's like, you're just feeling my my fire. I'm going to I'm gonna wake up tonight with a woman, not my <laughs> wife next to me, with four walls around my bed. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, isn't that a terrifying concept that no matter who you are on this planet, your entire body has to log off and shut Turn down off. for hours or you'll die <laughs> and who knows what could happen Anything. you're just leaving it <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. that is a crazy concept to me hmm. that door closed. <laughs> yeah okay so you ready for the crazy the well i don't want to call it crazy because it's to me it's not like a scary experience at all it's just like totally like unexplainable hmm. we ready shoot Okay, so back a little bit of background. So I, I went on a Mormon mission, two-year mission. And um, so at the time, as a Mormon, this experience, I put it through all of my Mormon paradigms. And so I made sense of it, and I attached meaning to it as a Mormon would. But now I don't do that. So now I don't really know what to think of it. I only know what we were talking about a long time ago, which is I only know what happened. I don't know why it happened, how it happened, anything like that. I just know what happened. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened. So I'm in a chair and my companion is sitting in a chair and there's a small table between us. And we're we're in the missionary training center in Provo, Utah, in a in a very small classroom. And we're at this time of the day where we're practicing teaching each other. So I'm pretending like I'm a missionary, and he's pretending like he doesn't know anything about the Mormon Church. And it's my job to tell him what we believe. Mm-hmm. And so I'm at this point in the discussion where I say, I, I'm, I'm reading this like this material that's helping me know what to say. And it says something about how um, God is our father and that makes you my brother, like my spiritual brother. And then I look up at him. I say, 
how does it feel to know that you're my brother? And right when I said that, this this is the phenomenon. Um, okay, a little more background. <laughs> so part, part of the Mormon belief that I had was my physical body, but inside my physical body is another body, which is my spirit body. And they're, they're, they're separate things, but the spirit can go in and out of the physical body. Um, anyway, so that's that. So right when I said, how does it feel to know that you're my brother? All of the sudden, according to my perception, I no longer had a physical body and neither did he. Uh, I was, and this was the middle of the day, um, there's people around us talking, and so all of a sudden, I no longer had physical eyes looking at him, I had spirit eyes looking at him, and the same thing happened to him according to my perception. He was no longer a physical person, he was a spiritual person, so my spirit was seeing his spirit. And likewise with my other senses, my ears became spirit ears, and all the noise around us in this classroom of other missionaries talking, people in the hallway talking, all of a sudden, all of that noise, it it went down to like 10% of the volume that it was at. It just sounded like kind of background noise. In real life, it wasn't background, it was like right there, but all of a sudden, it faded into background noise, Um, and I was... I don't know how long it lasted, like like five seconds, 30 seconds, I don't know. But it was a matter of seconds. And within those seconds, I was not only looking at him, but I remember looking around, looking at the desk, looking at the up at the lights, and seeing, uh, like, my Mormon belief was, oh, now I'm in, I'm experiencing what I've been taught is the spirit world, which coexists with our physical world. It's, it's basically the same thing. And so the desk was a spirit desk. And, and that's when I, I remember thinking, oh, this means that like, it's not like the spirit desk is like see-through or like ghostly or anything. It's literally the same desk, atom for atom. It's just, a different version on, on a different plane or something. Anyways, it was super bizarre and it lasted for a couple of seconds and then all of a sudden the noise levels came back to normal. Um, I, I could tell he was like a physical person again. Everything was physical. Everything was back to normal. And immediately I started to cry because it was like such a sensory overload. I didn't know how to like process it. And he started to cry at the exact same time um, I was crying. And I just, for some reason, I I could tell that he had the same experience that I had. And this is, this is what's the craziest to me is like every story that everyone has, it's like you could always go to this default and say, well, the mind's a complicated thing. Well, there's lots of like chemicals floating in, in the mind like you know, mental diseases and you can see whatever and hear. But like, this was like, this was the crazy part was like, did he just have the exact same experience as me as far as I could tell at the exact same time? Mm -hmm. And so I, I remember 
being really methodical about this because I thought this this is really important for me to not tell him what I experienced before I ask him what he experienced mm-hmm. because I want to see what he says. So I asked him, I said, did you just see that? And he said, yeah. And then, and then uh, we just like didn't really talk after that. And like really quickly after that class was like, okay, everyone come back, practice is over. But later that day, I asked him to like, tell me in detail like everything he experienced and it was exactly what I experienced like he described it exactly like I experienced it so as a Mormon I wanted to have that fit into my Mormon paradigm and so I was a I was trying to attach Mormon meaning to all that oh well that means that this and that means that this doctrine is true and blah 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 now I don't know what that means. I don't know if it had anything to do with anything. Um, But I know that that happened, and it was super weird. And the fact that this other human being that I'd only met like seven days ago had the same experience, that to me is like, that means, that's got to mean something. That's got to mean something. That's the craziest story of, my life, I think, that's like unexplainable. That is so yeah. wild. So crazy. And I I lived most of my life not telling anybody that story because I also had this belief at the time. I didn't, it's a really vague belief, which I always heard, don't cast your pearls before swine, meaning you're all swine and that's a pearl story. <laughs> So I'll take it. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, I'm not going to cast this pearl before swine. I'm going to keep it a secret. Uh, but now I don't really know what that means to cast my pearls before swine. So now, but really there's probably only like 10 people that I've ever told that story to. Wow. But now because but of now you guys, like millions, people. <laughs> <laughs> billions even. <laughs> 18 people. Billions <laughs> minus millions plus millions minus billions plus 15. There we go. Just kidding. That's about right. <laughs> when you like woke up in that plane and you looked over him, you said you could tell like you were witnessing his spirit body. Yeah. So real quick, um, not to be nitpicky, but the, the term woke up like okay. doesn't, doesn't fit. It really was the, I closed my eyes as though to blink. So, and I, it wasn't a slow blink. It was literally just blink, now you're a spirit. Whoa. Yeah, so it wasn't waking up. It wasn't slowly becoming aware of it. It was like, boom, what? So when you looked over at his, what did it look like? So I'm going off memory now, but, and and this was, again, decades ago, but this was what was crazy to me is he looked exactly the same, like Adam for Adam. His clothes were exactly the same. His eyelashes, his skin, like I couldn't see through his body. I couldn't see into his body. Like he looked exactly like he looked as a physical person, but there was a mental awareness in that state where I just knew that was not a physical person that I was looking at. That was that was a sp- 
spirit person or whatever that means. I just knew that was not his physical body. Ooh. And um and that's what he told me. I'm like, "What what did you experience?" And he said he said, "Well, you asked me um that question like how do you feel knowing that we're brothers?" And right when you asked that, I saw your spirit. That's what he said. I'm shook. That's Dude, yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah. So crazy. It's really crazy. I'm shook. Yeah. <laughs> I am also shook. <laughs> I was waiting. Good. So, Ser- I, yeah, seriously, it's like either, you know, that is the the Mormon belief or whatever explanation you want to attach to it. Yeah. At the very most, at the very least, what is that? <laughs> like yes. strip away everything. Right. What experience is that like? Because <sighs> I can I cannot convince myself that it was nothing. And mm-hmm. I can't convince myself that it was my soul experience. I mean, there's a, a second person. Mm. Mm. You think we'll ever receive answers to this? I hope so. I hope that when I die, my physical body, whatever, but then my my inside spirit body whatever that is gets gets to have different kinds of adventures unfettered by this need to make money and this need to you know all these things that are most people feel like they have to do that i feel like they like prevent us from really exploring Mm -hmm. i don't know that's my hope i'm just that's Mm -hmm. like kind of my fantasy but did you have any other ones? Mm-mm. Did you have any other ones you want to share? So I had, again, I was on a Mormon mission. And just just for anybody who hasn't gone on a Mormon mission, not like I can speak for all missions, but mine for sure, I feel like you're in this, this um, kind of environment that's, it's maybe unique in the whole world in that you grow up, well, whatever, you're part of a religion that's hyper-sensitive to uh, spiritual theology. And then you're put in this environment called a mission where on the one sense, you, f- you on the surface you think, oh, I'm like more free in my life than ever because I'm going to a different country. Like there's no, really no adults. Like it's just me and this other dude my age and, it's like up to us and like, so you, you kind of think you're free. But on the other hand, this, you feel mentally like super, super confined to be the utmost epitome of an embodiment of all that spiritual theology that that is taught in the religion. And that makes you mentally like, in a sense, not super free, but you're super confined uh, mentally. And and being extra, like, 24-7 aware of, whoa, I'm like, I am a missionary now. I'm not who I was before. I'm like a representative of this theology. I live this theology. I am this theology. And you can't help but, like, see the world through this paradigm of only that theology. 
and it's it's like psychologically it's really intense anyways that was my experience i had this companion and he was what you would refer to as a um a troubled missionary because <laughs> he didn't have a lot of social skills and as a missionary you need those um also just uh he didn't think like most people that's another thing that's hard as a missionary because <laughs> um, you you're talking to random people all day long and you have to know how to communicate but for example one time we were riding our bikes along this road and this this car passed and honked at us and that happens like every single day most of the time i assume that it's like someone who recognizes who we are and wants to like say hey honk honk hey missionaries you guys are awesome but of course sometimes people are honking because it's just like whoa look at those like halloween costume guys like like they'll honk and flip us off or whatever so anyways this one car honked gave no indication if it was friendly or hostile (laughs) but my companion takes off chases the car down he was way faster than i was on a bike uh he followed the car into this neighborhood i had no idea where he went and so i'm like frantically pedaling around this neighborhood i find him like 10 minutes later by himself like pedaling towards me and i'm like hey what happened he said oh i just like followed that lady in the car because she honked at me and I just wanted to see like what she wanted I'm like okay so (laughs) did did you like did you like talk to her he's like yeah yeah she like pulled over and I like I rode my bike up to her window and I'm I'm like hey roll your window down and she did and she said can I help you I said, yeah, I just, I noticed you honked at me and I just wondered if like you, if there's something you wanted. And every time he'd say something like this, he was like done talking. And so I had to keep asking questions like, well, and yeah, like, well, then what did she say? He's like, oh, well, she just said, yeah, you guys, I just saw you riding in the road and you should be riding on the footpath the sidewalk and and I said okay and then what did you say and he said oh oh I just said did you see a fucking footpath if you ever hawk at me again I will rip that fucking steering wheel out of your car and beat you <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. And I said, okay, and then what did she do? He said, literally just like this, he said, oh, she was like kind of scared. (laughs) And she just like, like rolled up her window really quick and just drove away. Uh, Yeah. And he was like acting like he was tired and bored. (sighs) And like, okay. So that's the context because that's who told me these Satan stories. So, <laughs> okay. yeah. 
There's probably someone somewhere else on a scary story podcast telling about the time this dude on a bike <laughs> yeah. pulled the him over. Mormon missionary, <laughs> the the angel of God. Okay, yeah. so if he ever hears this, he'll probably think it's hilarious, but um, he probably will never hear it. But his he lived in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and his uncle was in the FBI assigned to that area to monitor cults, established cults that lived in Coeur d'Alene. So I think a lot of people have heard that there's like, there was a, a fully functioning neo-Nazi camp. I haven't. Yeah, there was. Whoa. In Coeur d'Alene. And from what I understand, it went bankrupt years and years ago and doesn't exist there as, as it was. I think Coeur d'Alene if I'm not mistaken, it's kind of like the new hotspot. We just drove through there. Totally. Going people, to Montana. But like people from LA are like, ooh, yeah. Coeur d'Alene. Mm. Like Coeur d'Alene. It's the new like whitefish of Montana or like Jackson. Really you know. pretty. Lots it of is. outdoor stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't mm. be surprised at all. It's really like, I mean, when I grew up, no, I mean, it's so far away from everything. So I think people left it alone for the most part. But I mean, so also is Jackson Hole and... Mm-hmm a lot of these other destinations so why those, not yeah those towns are quaint and that's why people like them now mm-hmm. yeah fads <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, what are those <laughs> give me smog <laughs> <laughs> anti-culture okay so so this guy yeah he's he kind of came across as like super crazy at times and so these stories for they are what they are i don't know um, but I do believe his his uncle was in the FBI. He also told me this story of, this is not the Satan one. They had this neighbor, they lived on a big property. This neighbor like poisoned their dog and their dog was like part of their family. Jeez. And so what this guy did, my companion, he um, went like special ops and he like went and climbed a hill across his neighbor's property and he used a sniper rifle and he mm. killed their dog. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> like simmer down up there in Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> so this is this is this is the guy sleeping in a bed four feet across from the bed I'm sleeping in. Nope. Jeez. So one of the compounds was a Satan compound. So there's the neo-Nazis. There's another compound that was a, a satanic compound. And according to this companion of mine, he said that the founder of it was the son or a son of the person who invented Intel Pentium processors. So he had the funding to like do this, to establish this compound and to have like people in it, like join it. <laughs> All expenses paid, whatever. That's what you wanted to do with your money when you made it big? <laughs> Establish this compound? Damn. I can do anything in the world. It kind of makes sense, though, like in thirst of power. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. That's what I That's what I view, at least, or the, how yeah. I see it. Well, so so this companion of mine, he his high school was was in the same region as this compound. I mean, close enough that, like, I don't know how far away it was, but they could like, 
it, it was like a high school like dare, like see how close people could get to the wall of the compound. And he said that, and I mean, he, he told me this, but for what it's worth, but he said in high school, um, there were always these dares, but there were two football players that they decided they were going to like jump the fence and then jump back. And the fence is like tall enough you can't see over it. And so these these football players, there was like some other people there, like on their side of the fence. And they saw these two football players jump the fence, but they never jumped back. And they like had the police involved and they like went into the compound and they looked for bodies and they found nothing. Oh my gosh. Um, but he told me that um, they did find like two teeth in the compound and I don't know if they belonged to those football players. I don't think they did, but they found two, two human teeth or whatever. And then he said there was another time because he's like a hunter guy, right? He's like an outdoor camouflage guy. And <laughs> I know exactly the time. <laughs> Hiding from everyone. Yeah. Just in a ghillie suit. <laughs> so he was he was out and about being an outdoor guy one time and he like was in this area of Idaho. Uh and if you spent a much time in Idaho, the terrain is super traverse, but there's a lot of like rocky outcroppings kind of all over the state. But he like found himself kind of on top of this like 30 foot cliff or whatever. And he like looked down and at the bottom and, and this area that he was in was close to the, the satanic compound. And he looked down and he saw this guy. He said he looked like an animal, just like super long, like, raggy unkempt hair um muscular whatever and uh he had this blue tarp and he opened the tarp and there was something in it that looked organic like uh meat and he like had a knife and he was like just shaving off slices of the meat in this tarp and my companion said that he like was on top of the cliff watching this and he was so scared and he like made a noise or like a, a dislodged some loose dirt or rocks or something. And the guy looked up straight up at him and he said that his eyes were like bulging out of his skull. They were just like huge. And he said that um, the guy... Um, started to climb the cliff but he was climbing it like abnormally fast and it didn't look like his hands were like even touching the cliff like he was just like kind of like making climbing motions as he was like coming up the cliff (laughs) (laughs) my my companion like got up and like took off running and that's kind of the end of that story but here's the thing again you're a missionary your entire paradigm is only the the spiritual forces that are fighting for your soul. God and Satan, all the angels of God, all the demons of Satan, there's it's a war 
and you're on the front line and this is your mission. And so you hear a story like that and you're like, oh yeah, of course that happens. Like, I mean, this is what, this is what life is. Like all the physical stuff is just like a diversion. And so at the time I totally believed him. I'm I like, yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Satan story. Mm. At the very least, entertaining as hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I also have a story for Laura about someone you know named Richard. Yes. So your friend Richard said growing up, his brother had night terrors. And they got... And if you don't know what night terrors are, I think they manifest themselves differently with everyone. I had a friend who grew up with night terrors and she said for about a year, she would wake. It's not that she would wake up, but she would go into this night terror frenzy where she would circle this pillar in her house, screaming at the top of her lungs. And she could see her mom and her dad trying to calm her down, but she couldn't get out of it. She was completely like awake but she was in this nightmarish world that she couldn't escape. Mm. So night terrors are like this other thing I've, I've never dealt with personally. Um, yeah. People like, yeah, they're like awake to my understanding, but they're in this hellish world. Right. And so Richard's older brother had been going through this and he'd been going it through it for so long. It was causing a lot of stress on the family. I believe it got to the point even he had to go get like psychiatric help or, or get some sort of help to help him deal with this. So he's in the peak height of his stressed situation and he starts having this reoccurring dream and it's the same dream every time. The way his bedroom is situated, his bed is facing perfectly the door. So at the foot of his bed, he can look up and see the door. Mm-hmm. So every so often he'd open his eyes and he'd get this feeling that he wasn't alone. And he'd look down at the foot of his bed and there's just a black door or a black hole where his door is. And he can see all the way down the hallway. And at the end of the hallway, there's a man standing there every time. And he said it was the same man every time. He said he was very tall and bald and insanely pale. And there was something about his face that was off. It was distorted in the way. And so every time he'd wake up and he'd see the man instantly terrified, his, his, he has goosebumps, his chills up his spine. And when he sees him, he gets sleep paralysis. So he can't move. He said he would sit there and struggle with his might as hard as he can. And he'd look at the man And the man would just slowly smile and stare at him with these bulging eyes. And so he'd struggle as hard as he could. He said one time in the dream, he finally was able to look over at his desk and he reached for his light and there's no desk. And he looks around his room and it's an empty room, just him in his bed and the man is there. And so the only thing he could do besides that, a couple occasions where he could move his arms was he could close his eyes. But every time he closed his eyes, the man at, sorry, the man at the end of the hallway is floating six inches above the ground, just floating there, staring at him. And so the only thing he could do on occasion besides when he could move his arms was he could close his eyes. 
But when he closed his eyes, he didn't hear him, but he would feel the man get closer. And so he, it would build up and he could feel it. And so he'd open his eyes real quick and the man would be like halfway up the hall, oh, closer to him. No. And he said this happened so often. He would dread going to bed, but there's nothing he could do. And until it came to a point where he woke up or opened his eyes and he knows what's going on and he sees the man at the end of the hall and he closes his eyes because he's terrified. There's nothing else he can do. And he closes it for so long. He knows the man's by his bed and he feels pressure on his leg. And he said it felt like someone had rested their hand on the leg and he's like, tries to fight it and move his leg and he feels the pressure leave and he's like, okay, he's gone. And he feels the pressure and coldness on his hand. Oh, no. And he rips himself out of and wakes up in his bed. And he's like, <sighs> and he said he's like terrified. And he looks at his brother. He's like screaming. It took him hours to calm him down. Wow. But that was like the the scariest uh, oh, experience he had. He? he was in high school. Yeah. Dang. He Oof. was, that's wild. I've had sleep paralysis, but I've never had the feeling of someone touching me. Me neither. Like that was always the fear that mm. someone was going to touch me, mm. but that this guy actually felt pressure. Ooh. And he said it was distinctly cold. Wow. It's next level terror. Scary. So have fun trying to sleep tonight out <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. but this has been a blast. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having us on here. For reals. Thank you. You guys are couple goals. Your artistic goals. Mm-hmm. I love you guys. Love Anytime you. I have friends Likewise. meet you, they like pull me aside afterwards. They're like, dude, they are the coolest people. Ever. And I'm like, I know they're my family. <laughs> our marketing is working. <laughs> uh, for our listeners out there, bye, love you, be safe. Trust your gut, watch your back. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Good night. And you're Sweet dreams. <laughs> <laughs>
You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy, and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.